0: Let's explore humility. You consider yourself a humble person. Do we even know why being humble is important? Even better question, what is humility? It's used very often, but also very misunderstood. Many of us confuse humility with low self-esteem, with being passive, with overlooking things, which of course at times is important, but is that really humility? Is humility a strength or a weakness? So please join me in week five of this series, Seven Weeks to a Better You. We will explore, evaluate, and understand how to actualize the powerful attribute of humility within our psyches within our souls, within our emotions. Welcome to part five of our series, Seven Weeks to a Better You, Humility. This program is dedicated in honor of Jerry Finkelstein, who lived a long and meaningful life guided by family, integrity, and Jewish identity. So in the spectrum of human emotions, we have the seven dimensions from love all the way through dignity. Briefly, love, discipline, compassion, endurance, humility, bonding, and dignity. We are now going to cover part five, the fifth emotion, humility. In Hebrew, the word is hoid. It's interesting, this word has many meanings. It also means splendor, humility, acknowledgement, yielding, flexibility. These all go into the category of humility. And for it to be a full-blown and healthy emotion, humility has to have a combination of the other six within it. The love within humility, the discipline within humility, and so on. So let's cover all of that. But first and foremost, we have to define the word. Humility, everyone would agree, is a very beautiful virtue. A humble person, a modest person, modesty yet another word. But what exactly is this? Would you consider yourself a humble person? And what exactly is humility? And why is it important? We could understand it's a nice virtue, but do, you, do humble people get hurt? Whereas the more aggressive and even arrogant people are the ones that seem to get ahead. Is humility coming from weakness? Is it passive? Is it active? Is it weakness or strength? All these questions need to be addressed. How do we distinguish between humility and low self-esteem? There are many of us that we just retreat when there's a confrontation, and maybe it's not even the right thing to do. Is it coming from a humble place? From strength? Or is it coming from fear? And how do you distinguish between the two? So let's get right into it. First, defining humility. One of the first places humility is used in Scripture is in the verse when Moses is described as the humblest man that ever walked on earth. Now Moses was the great Moses, was the man chosen by God to take the people out of Egypt, to lead them. The first quintessential leader the one that received the mandate of the Torah at Sinai, and everything that Moses represents, the prophet Moses, the spiritual mentor, the leader, the scholar, the teacher, you would think all those virtues, why would humility be the prime thing that the Torah describes and says that there's no man that walks on earth on earth that was as humble as Moses? You could say as scholarly as Moses, as godly, as brilliant, as charismatic, as leader. But it's interesting, the first time Moses is described after he's born is that Moses was a shepherd. A shepherd. A humble shepherd, yes. It's interesting, King David is also described as a shepherd. And the sages explain why. It's a beautiful story. That Moses, when he was tending to the sheep of his future father in law, Jethro, Yisrael, so there were many sheep in the flock, and Moses noticed that one of them wandered away. That alone is a sensitivity. Out of thousands of sheep, he noticed one sheep, and he went to seek it out. Where's that sheep? And he found that the sheep had wandered quite a distance to a brook of water drinking. And Moses realized that this sheep was thirsty. And what he did was, he let the sheep continue drinking, then he carried back the sheep on her shoulder to the flock. So the Medrash concludes, the Medrash, this, uh, this, that the story that when God saw that, he said, a man could be so sensitive to one sheep and nobody's watching. Could have easily ignored it or not even recognized that the sheep is thirsty. This is the person I will entrust my people to, because I know he'll take care. So you see here the word humility, context of sensitivity, and clearly coming from strength. This requires strength, this requires care, sensitivity. Moses was not just about himself, but about the greater cause, in this case, fulfilling faithfully his role, his responsibility as a shepherd. I'm sure Moses had many great ideas. He would later be chosen, as I said, to be the great leader, and yet he had that simple humility. That just captures one piece of it. And it's very clear from the story and from all of the activities around Moses, where you can ask the big question again, humility is a beautiful virtue, but why is it so paramount? On the contrary, you can say humility will also cause a person to not take on challenges, to not deal with adversity. A commander in chief which Moses was also a leader, a king, needs strength, conviction. You could say netzach. The attribute, the emotion we discussed in the previous part. Drive, ambition, determination, endurance, tenacity. But humility, again, a beautiful virtue. So here's the key thing. The difference is there's healthy humility and unhealthy low self-esteem. They're not the same thing. Low self esteem is somebody who doesn't have confidence in themselves. They say, I'm worthless. I'm damaged goods. I'm nobody. Often these are people who've been invalidated, who've not been nurtured, and they really feel worthless. They don't feel their opinion matters. They don't feel they matter. Everything about them has been, everything, but a lot of about them has been taken, demoralization. That is not humility. That's low self-esteem. That's someone who's been beat up, has become a doormat. Humility is you know your strengths fully. You're fully aware. That's why a great person could have humility. Fully aware of your strengths, but you say to yourself, these are not my own strengths. They were given to me. I was blessed with them. I'm not a self-made individual. And if someone else had the strengths I had, if someone else had the virtues I had and the opportunities they would have achieved more than I had. This is coming from a very powerful place. So how do you explain that? And the distinction is because it's recognizing out of strength that we're dedicated and committed to something greater than ourselves. That's the essence of humility. A word that I've often used, but I want to introduce it here. A word comes from the Hebrew and it's used in Hasidic thought. The word is bittal. I'll spell it. I'll transliterate, spell it B I T T U L, Bittel. Literally, it can mean sound like nullification, which can be confused with obliteration, annihilation. No. Bittel is the suspension of self in order to receive something greater than yourself. It is the key to all growth, the idea that a full vessel, a full cup cannot be filled. You need to feel empty, you need to feel receptive to absorb something beyond yourself. So indeed, not only is it a beautiful virtue, it's the key to true leadership, to true success. So ambition, endurance, tenacity, all of that, and determination is vital to drive forward. But humility, hoyed, is that capacity. That's why it's connected to acknowledgement, gratitude. From the word in Hebrew, hoyedah, like we say in the morning, moda ani, I acknowledge, thank you for returning my soul to me. It's an awareness of greatness beyond yourself, that you're not the beginning and end of it all. And that paradoxically makes you far greater. That's the power of it. Now, when leaders are arrogant, can they still lead? Well, we see they do, but there's a lot lacking. First of all, what's lacking is the objectivity that's necessary They can be blinded by their own arrogance and by their own blind ambition. So in that sense, the humility, the flexibility, the yielding of choyd is like the balance to that drive and ambition and determination of, of Netzach. Just like Vura disciplines and guides love, as we discussed in week one and week two of this series, choyd harnesses and seasons ambition that it should be directed and not just be blind ambition or blind arrogance. Because that's what can happen when you just have drive and determination. The second thing is that it allows you to be a true leader. Though an arrogant person can drive things and even can even motivate, but tell me, when you see that the person that you are following, the person that's inspiring, is humble, that they are dedicated to something greater than them, then that... In turn, inspires us to be dedicated to what they're representing because it's not about them. We don't want to be worshiping an individual. We want to be worshiping a cause that that individual, though being that who's a leader, is also committed and dedicated to. And that also keeps it true and honest. So when you think of it that way, humility becomes a tremendous and necessary element. And of course, the point of sensitivity. A person that's arrogant, yes, may have the drive, may have a, even a vision and a determination to reach the destination, but will that person be sensitive? Will they inspire with sensitivity or fear? Sensitivity, that the hallmark of what Moses demonstrated when he came to gather and find that lost sheep searching for a drink. The sensitivity, the care. So all this goes under the rubric of hoid, of humility. But there's much more. There's much more. Interesting story. In the Talmud it talks about the classic argument between the two great sages, Shammai and Hilla. They were two colleagues. Shammai generally leaned to be more severe in his rulings. And Hillel was more lenient. So he was And they disagreed about different matters. Now, they both were coming from a good place. It wasn't about good and bad. They both are legitimate authorities and great authorities. So during a long period of their lives, the students of Shammai followed the rulings of Shammai when they dealt with any given question. They followed what their teacher taught them. And the students of Hillel followed his more lenient path. There are exceptions, but generally that was the the thrust. But then it came a time where it was determined we need to have a consensus for different reasons. And ultimately it was determined that the ruling would be like Hillel. And the Talmud gives a a very interesting, you can even say strange reason, because he was the more humble one. And how do we know that? Because when he would present his arguments, he would first present his colleague's argument, his adversary's argument, which was opposite of his own, and presented it well, not dismissing it, not minimizing it. And then he would present his own argument. In other words, he preceded his, the argument that was not his. Beautiful virtue humility. But when it comes to our ruling, you're talking about a constitutional ruling, a halacha, of a matter of law, it would seem that the one we would follow would be the one that. Greater scholarship, better proofs, more solid arguments, as it is in any court of law. Since when do we look at the lawyers presenting a case based on their humility? So humility is a beautiful virtue, give them an award, but why is the ruling, which seems to be one of an academic scholarly deliberation, why is that following the one that's more humble? who says is the one that's more accurate? And the answer is quite simple, but also very profound. Every one of us is subjective. When we're subjective, even if we are God-fearing people, pious, good intentions, but being subjective, we can have blind spots. When it comes to, especially if you're a brilliant person, and and you've deliberated on a certain topic, you've come to certain conclusions, you're invested in them. So that's where we all can make a mistake. So though Shammai was also a humble person, but the humility of Hillel taught us that you can trust his objectivity more. He's more open to hearing another opinion than his own. Now, not to say that Shammai couldn't do that, but Hillel shined. This was was something that he was exemplary in that. And that's why. So it's like saying two scientists... Hopefully we can trust their, their um, experimentation and their analysis and their results. But we see scientists sometimes they can distort something for whatever reason. They may have a certain self-interest. Humility makes sure that it's going to be an honest presentation. It won't be tainted by any prejudice, bias, or self-interest. So you see, humility is not just a beautiful virtue. It also opens up the door for a higher truth. Like I said before, dedicated to something greater than yourself. That is humility. Now, bring it back to ourselves, to, to each one of us. When you think of the context, we've spoken about love, discipline, compassion. In week four, we discussed endurance, determination, tenacity. So now we come in week five and talk about humility. And you can see how it fits in. It's a critical component. It's not the only one. It's one of of seven, but it's a vital one for all the reasons that we discussed. So on one hand, humility seems very silent. Because when someone's humble, they may be quiet. They may acquiesce. They may be flexible. And it can be misunderstood as weakness, fear of confrontation, a pleaser. But true humility actually takes more strength than netzach, than determination. Because when you have something to say, you have a strong opinion, it's relatively easy for you to express yourself. But to exercise restraint, which is yet another feature of hoyd, of humility, that takes more effort. When a smart person has something to say, what does it take more effort for him to speak or to be quiet? To be quiet. To exercise restraint takes even more strength. But the strength takes on the shape of internal. It's not a strength as a netzach, a drive forward. It's a drive inward. And those are the truly powerful people of all, where they could be quiet. You may not hear much from them. When they say something, however, value it, because their humility is coming from tremendous strength. And it's also the, the other, the converse is also true. There was once a, uh, I remember hearing this, this story from the individual, when he was a student. So his, uh, his Rebbe encouraged him to go and speak in a synagogue, to speak publicly, teach, inspire. But he was very shy. So he said, no, nah, it's not for me. My brother is very good at that. My, uh, another person, my two brothers. And here's where the Rebbe responded to him in Yiddish. He said, misplaced humility is rooted in arrogance. What does that mean? That yours sounds like humility. You're not capable. But the truth is, if it's what's needed, who's talking about you in your comfort zone? It may be your arrogance. Your arrogance, first of all, you don't want to fail. You don't want to be judged. Sometimes arrogance can take on the shape that looks like it's humility. But in truth... It's another just form of arrogance. When someone says, I'm worthless, I'm nobody, that's also arrogant. How do you, why are you so sure you're nobody? Birth is God saying you matter. You are somebody. On the other hand, there's the arrogance where I'm somebody, and uh, uh, me and nothing else, me, me, me. So humility doesn't always mean withdrawing. Humility doesn't always mean remaining quiet. Sometimes it means that you speak up. So it all depends, case by case. The point is that it's not being driven by you and your ego. It's driven by what is right. If what is right is necessary right now for you to speak, you speak. If what is right is necessary for you to be, have exercise restraint and be quiet, you're quiet. The cause is always greater than the, than the individual. Suspending yourself for a higher truth, which is the key to all real growth, healthy growth. And when you don't have it, then as great as you are, whatever you have will be an extension of yourself with your prejudice and biases and so on. So now that we've established what it is, let's now look at ourselves. So if you you have a journal or you're marking down on a paper, so take the column, the one that we're dealing with, the fifth column now, called humility, and mark one to ten, where would you categorize yourself? How humble are you? And to be more specific, not just how humble you are, the humility we're talking about, humility that's coming from strength. Not how lowly you think of yourself, or how low your self-esteem is, but really how humble you are in strength. Now some, have, some may say, I never really thought of it that way. I always confused the two. So now's the time to start thinking about it. And evaluating it. What's the purpose of the evaluation? It's exactly like it is with physical exercise. The purpose of the evaluation, is not just to evaluate, is to recognize, okay, I maybe have a deficiency in calcium, so I need to supplement that. I'm missing some vitamin C, so I need to include that. My muscle needs is a little weak, I need to exercise it. So looking at humility as we look at all the other emotions is about evaluating where does it stand and what can I do to make it grow. Remember, awareness is half the cure of any problem. So, as being aware, it was already going to make it grow. You start recognizing, you know what, today, yesterday, did you behave in a humble way? Did you exercise humility? Ask yourself these questions. Are there instances where it was the opposite was true? Then you make a determination that tomorrow I'm going to deliberately make an effort to be more, more humble with my spouse, with my children, with my co-workers, with strangers. You'll be surprised that when you make that determination, when you make that resolution, how much effect that can have on you. Because so much of what we do is reflexive. It's impulsive. We do things, routine, pattern, we don't think twice. So just the mere fact, the mere exercise of deliberating, of thinking, of introspection, soul-searching, evaluating, examining, is already a major part of the process. The awareness, how many things we do when we're not aware. So in that list, Mark, yes, I did behave in ways that were not so humble. You can even uh, uh, delineate, doesn't have to be great in, in, in graphic detail, but at least be aware, and then make the exerted effort and the focused effort to correct that. I'm going to be in a situation where I may react one way and I'm going to take the humble path. But a humble humility out of strength, not out of weakness. Now let's focus a moment on the weakness. If indeed it's a low self-esteem, mark that down as well because that's something you need to work on. So it's not really a hoid exercise because hoid and humility is about healthy humility. But it's something that needs to be discussed perhaps in the week, the seventh week of Malchudah Dignity which we'll also talk about here as we talk about the different elements within humility. So it's evaluating in order to be able to improve, in order to be able to tame, to gauge, and regulate where you are in this. If it's an area where you're very strong, so by all means, make it even stronger. If it's an area you're weak, begin to build it up. And it's interesting when you contrast it with the Netzach, the determination, the ambition, the tenacity, the fortitude, the conviction we spoke about, then you start realizing how they both really balance each other. You need both. Which leads me into the next part of this discussion, and that is the seven elements that hoyd should be comprised of. For it to be a healthy emotion, we need to have all other seven within them, including the hoyd within hoyd, that makes it seven. The six and the one that it itself, within itself, which we'll discuss. So let's start with the first, the love within humility. Humility that does not have love is lacking something dramatic. As I mentioned, it can be demoralizing. It could be just doing something without that the, the feelings of love. So a humility must have love. A loving form of humility. When you love somebody, you'll be humble. But when you're humble, you'll also love. And if the love is not expressed, something is lacking. So ask yourself, as we continue in this journal, ask yourself, how is the love within my humility? And it's easy to de- recognize that. See how it affects you and your loved ones. If the humility is bringing out more love within you, then you know you're in the right dire- going the right direction. If it doesn't, then you have to ask yourself why. Humility seems to cultivate closeness, being able to understand and be sensitive to another. So that's the love within humility. The second is the other side of it. Humility needs to be checked and disciplined. What does that mean? You have to look at what's driving this humility. You have to evaluate it. Is it driven by strength or by weakness? Is the humility itself... One that's coming with a certain strength and commitment in that sense. So evaluating is discipline. Is it maybe there are situations where humility is not the way? Like I said earlier, misguided humility can be rooted in arrogance. Are you saying that in the name of humility, for instance, you shouldn't go and volunteer and help some people? Or you shouldn't go speak to someone? Maybe that's misplaced. And that's what the Gavura does, the discipline, the questions that we ask, to make sure the humility is being used and directed in the right place. Or the other way around. Maybe it's an area where you need more humility. And you're not exercising enough restraint. So that's the second component. The third component is compassion. There's a custom that before you go to pray, give some charity. Show compassion. Humility has to make us more compassionate. Which is yet another form of sensitivity, even though I said it earlier with love. But it's all also about that compassion. As we discussed, compassion is more than just love. Compassion is even to a situation that may not deserve it. And you have mercy, you have compassion. So is the humility creating a deeper level of relationship? Is it a beautiful humility? Is it balanced? Remember Teferis. Compassion is also connected to beauty, which connects it to the splendor of haid, that humility should be beautiful. If it's not beautiful, meaning it's not balanced, it's somewhat something off, erratic, or doesn't look right, then we have to look at it and try to round it out. Sometimes having an independent person helping you determine that. Like someone may recognize you did something that was very humble of you, but something, something was wrong, something was compromised. So that's the balance of compassion and beauty that is added in the virtue of humility. Then comes the determination with humility. Now, it may sound like a contradiction. No. First of all, humility should have determination that you're actually driven. And there's a tenacity and endurance of your humility. Humility is not just when so-called it's easy. That even when there's an obstacle and even there's a setback or even there's a challenge, you still remain humble. And it's not always that easy. Sometimes you need to really exercise a lot of powerful restraint, certain situations where you really want to intervene, and humility dictates pulling back. So there's a determination that ironically actually makes your humility stronger. And sometimes the other side of the coin, and that is the determination with humility that humility should not allow you to become weak, should not allow you to be a pushover, to be a doormat. So you need to have also that element. And you'll see a person who has both ambition, drive, determination, tenacity, and humility is a most beautiful mix. Because humility doesn't make the person like passive. It's very active. And there it complements and goes hand in hand with determination. Or endurance. All the names for Netzach. Then there's the humility within humility, which is the analysis of humility itself. What is driving the humility? What is it about? How can you make it stronger? Are you weak in that area? So everything we, learned, we discussed earlier about humility is the humility within humility. Also, that you have to be humble in your humility. Some people actually become very proud and arrogant. Look how humble I am. I mean, there's that joke where the rabbi and his assistant were both beating their chest and saying, I don't want to have any arrogance, I'm completely humble, completely humble, completely humble. And then a simple guy walks into the synagogue and he sees them doing that, so he also beats his chest and says, I'm completely humble, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. And the rabbi looks to his assistant and says, look who thinks he's nobody. Nobody. So sometimes humility can take on a form that you're arrogant in your humility. The humility should be humble as well. So it's not just an appearance. It's not even if it's sincere. It's not something you have to necessarily get an award for. Like the humble guy says that, they ask, the humblest person should come up front. So one guy rushed up front. The other guy came right after him. He said, so you came second? That means you're not so humble. He says, no, he just pushed himself in front of me. If if he hadn't, I would have been first. That's not exactly... The ultimate of humility. Then comes step six, part six, and that's the bonding. Humility should be part of, should lead and be part of bonding. It could also, for some people, humility is a very lonely, isolated experience. I'm humble, but my partner doesn't really understand, or they're not in it with me. Humility should lead to bonding. It should be part of a full relationship. Sometimes, so let's say humility in the concept of yielding. You have a disagreement with your spouse or with someone else that you love or care about. So humility dictates yielding. Not always. You don't want to always be right. Be like the reed. That's A statement, that, that's a statement from the sages, a beautiful statement. A person should always be like a reed. R-E-E-D. And not like a, for a rigid cedar wood. Soft like a reed and not rigid like a cedar wood is the full expression. When a storm comes and the winds blow, the reed will blow with the wind. It's yielding, it's flexible. And the cedar tree may be very powerful, but if the storm is strong enough, it will blow it down. Flexibility and yielding is an unbelievable powerful element. Look at, it, for instance, when they talk about suspension bridges. I remember the first time we were in camp, we went on a hike. And our counselor took us on a suspension bridge, and he said, do you feel? A suspension bridge, it shakes when the cars and the trucks ride over it. And we thought it was about to collapse. He says, no, it's the way it's built, because the, the, it's, it's yielding, and allowing it to carry a lot more weight. If it was just a solid bridge without that element of yielding, it actually could collapse. That's why skyscrapers and very high buildings and different architectural structures are built with a certain flexibility. Because the stronger you stand, that may be strong, but when there's a strong wind or resistance, it can blow it down. In human psychological terms, yielding actually makes you greater because you have capacity, you have flexibility, your capacity to go with the flow. You don't always have to win the argument, you can be calmer. Sometimes you may lose the battle, but win the war. Maybe you don't even call it lose the battle. So it's critical to have that element of yielding. And therefore the yielding leads to bonding. If it's a yielding that's misplaced, where you should stand up for yourself, as we discussed earlier, that's a humility that's misplaced. But the humility that's yielding and proper will create deeper bonds with those that you love and those that you're connected with. And finally, the dignity within humility. As it is in all the emotions. If you don't find dignity there, then usually the humility is a problem. It may look like humility, but it could very well be servitude. It could very well be oppression, condescension, where someone is imposing themselves on you. And you're not really being humble, you're being beat up. Some people think, "Oh, I was was humble. I allowed my spouse, my husband, to hurt me, God forbid. I was being humble. You're not being humble. You're being weak. And I'm not saying as critique. We understand that out of survival sometimes, but the dignity is is not there in the humility. Humility should make you a more dignified person, both the dignity that you have, the humble person, and also the dignity that you offer to others. And if it's not creating and cultivating dignity, there's something wrong. So the malchus within Hoid, which is the dignity, the sovereignty, the the majesty, the kingship within humility, that actually humility makes you a greater, more dignified person, not a weaker person. So when you take it all into account, all seven within the humility, we have a full-blown beautiful virtue. And all of them should be a column in your journal where you ask these questions about the love within humility, the discipline, restraint, the compassion and beauty and balance, the endurance within it, within humility, the humility within humility, the bonding and the dignity. And each one asks that question, is it leading to dignity? Is it leading to bonding? And that, in turn, allows you to do an exercise that strengthens that particular feature. If, for example, any one of is missing one of the seven, work on that particular component. Work on the dignity that's necessary in humility. Work on the bonding. Work on the endurance or any of the others. As you know, this is based on my book, A Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer which is available, you can find it, it's also in an app, My Omer app, My Omer, both on Android and on iOS, on iPhones, and you also can get a daily email, so though we're in the middle of the process, but it's all available to you, so this has been part five of this new series, seven weeks to a better you, please, this has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com, please share, comment, thoughts, suggestions, love to hear from you. Be well, be modest and humble, and open yourself up to the greatest horizons. Please join me in the next part, which will cover bonding in part six of this series, Seven Weeks to a Better You. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.